This summer, um, as I was sensing God was leading us to this series of sermons on flourishing, which is going to conclude next week. Next week, we're going to conclude with, with a specific practice God has given us to embrace flourishing. Something very practical for us to say, this is how I embrace the flourishing God has for me. So we're going to do that next week. But as I was sketching out and imagining what this potentially could be, there were three guest speakers that came to my mind. I wanted Lloyd Curtis to come, which he did on October 9th. I wanted Lloyd to come, the director of our rescue mission, to help us consider how do people like the homeless flourish? And he did an amazing job, amen? That was amazing. I then wanted to have a speaker who was a non-native English speaker who would require a translator so that we remember that this is a kingdom for every nation and every tongue and every language. And Pastor Marcos from our little Brazilian ministry was amazing. He was fun. His translator was equally fun. And we had a fun time. It was, it was great. But the very first person that came to my mind as I was imagining this series was the Reverend Bonnie Gatchel. We've had Bonnie before. It was years ago that we had Bonnie. Bonnie heads a ministry called Root One Ministries. If you want to just Google lovedbyroot1.org, you'll get everything you need to know about that ministry. Her ministry is in the, in, right on the, the tip of the effort of God in the Boston area in addressing the issue of human trafficking and sex trafficking. And I knew that Bonnie walks in darkness like few of us can imagine in her ministry. But I also knew that Bonnie witnesses the flourishing of God. And so right at the top, I thought, well, I'm going to get her here. And originally, I was going to pair her with the message I did a couple weeks ago from, on, on evil and the flourishing God from Noah. But we just couldn't get our dates together. And once I found out the date I could have her, we just grabbed her. But you can consider this evil and the flourishing God part two as you welcome with me our friend and sister, the preacher of the morning, Reverend Bonnie Gatchel. Would you come, Bonnie? We just welcome you today to Community Chapel. Hello. Good morning. I'm really honored to be here. Thank you, Jeff. Um, yeah, as Jeff said, I am Bonnie, and I run an organization called Route One Ministry, and I really appreciate um, that he had the website down. I've, I don't know if I've had such a concise introduction of um, this is who I am and accurate. Um, but so Love by Route One, if you wanted to look us up, you could also probably just Google Route One, spelt like the highway. Um, but Route One is in Boston. We're also in Worcester and Springfield, Mass. And what we do is we do reach women sexually exploited and trafficked by going inside strip clubs and meeting the women who work there and building relationships with them. And I think some of your faces look familiar from when I was here a couple years before the pandemic, and some of you I'm meeting for the first time. But when I think about going inside strip clubs, which now we as an organization have done for 12 years, we just celebrated the end of our 12 years of ministry on November 6th, um, we do so 
because the genealogy of Jesus is riddled with women who are oppressed and exploited and marginalized. And Jesus could have came in any way that he wanted. Uh, if it were me, I would probably be coming on a bulldozer. Um, but true story, one time for Christmas, just to tell a little bit more about my personality, but uh, a friend gave me one of those old glasses that you used to get at McDonald's. I don't know if anyone here remembers that. Like, you could buy glass glasses at McDonald's. Um, and it had Miss Piggy on a motorcycle roaring through a stained glass window. And I thought, yes, that is me <laughs> and uh, my calling to the pastorate. Um, but Jesus did not shy away from that genealogy. He could have picked a cleaner genealogy, right? But he came through that one. Um, I believe that every woman who works in the strip club is made in the image of God because I hold scripture to be the word of God. And I also believe that no little girl wants to be a stripper when she grows up. And so if we start with that premise, instead of this idea that media and TV shows and quite frankly, uh, feminists behaving poorly have told us that uh, women just choose to be there, that it's a college girl working her way through school, that it's a single mom. If instead we start with no little girl wants to be a dancer when she grows up, then we can start to unpack what has happened in this woman's life to bring her to work in the strip clubs. Um, and there's a lot more I could say about that, but we don't have the time. I might say a few more things as we move through the sermon this morning, through the text this morning. But again, if you do go to our website, my email's there. There's a phone number where you can reach me. I'd love to have more conversation with you. Um, but God is moving and we have seen women leave the sex industry through our efforts, through being the hands and feet of Christ. Um, and with churches behind us like you guys, praying for us and interceding for the women. Um, let me pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each of our hearts be pleasing to you. May we put aside, cast aside, any and all distractions that might keep us from hearing what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, I thank you for that reminder. Amen. Um, so, yes, flourishing in the midst of evil. Um, and I think that partly what Jeff thought about when he thought of me, which I'm very um, humbled and honored by, is quite frankly the work I just described to you, right? Us continuing to show up even in dark places, even when it might feel scary or intimidating. The women are excited that we are there. They often greet us with hugs. They want um, us to know that these are the only, we bring in little gifts when we come, the only gifts they'll receive. We've had women on Christmas Eve. We had to go later one year than we normally go. And uh, she jumped off, her, she was sitting on a stool, a bar stool, talking with a client. She saw us come through the door, jumped off the stool, ran to greet us, tears coming down her face because she thought we had forgotten about her. Um, and it was just so important that we were there. And it was a real wrestling. I remember this specifically that year. We almost didn't go. We, had, we were short volunteers. I had already gone to three strip clubs 
the day before, I was pretty exhausted. I was like, maybe you just won't go. And thank goodness for the Holy Spirit and his prompting, I went, right? And I was like, you can do this. You can finish strong. This is one more club. And I was glad that I did. Um, in some of the other clubs we were in, when women meet us for the first time, a lot of the clubs were in weekly. And a lot of the clubs were in weekly. The women have gotten to know us, and we get to know them over the course of years. But every once in a while, we meet a new woman. And especially on Christmas Eve, I mean, we've had women say, why is it anyone would remember a stripper? I can't believe somebody would intentionally come out to meet with me, right? So the work that we're doing matters, and it matters um, because God is in it. But as I thought about this morning and I looked at the text of Jesus meeting Zacharias, Zacchaeus, <laughs> different guy, different time, Zacchaeus, um, which I will read that text for us, I thought about other places, like it's off easy to make the women the villains or the buyers who are buying sex the villains. But I think that it's also a place where we want to see where evil lurks in the everyday right, in our everyday world. Um, and so flourishing despite the evil, flourishing in times of darkness, flourishing post-pandemic and trying to rebuild with people. Uh, Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho, Jesus entered Jericho, and passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody of anything, restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The word of the Lord. When I look at this text, I think, what a beautiful text. There is a sinner seeking a savior who's already seeking him. Jesus is the savior who seeks the sinner. And Jesus, once again, is traveling and teaching, and it just seems to be Jesus' rhythm that as he moves along on his everyday journey, crowds gather around him, and he begins to teach them, or he continues to teach them. But it also seems to be part of Jesus' rhythm that he stops and pulls aside the 12, the disciples, for a little private teaching, something more intimate. And that's what's happened right before our text. In chapter 18, verse 31, Jesus taking the twelve, and he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. 
for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. So here, Jesus has pulled aside the disciples to say this to them, to tell, to predict his own death, and with such details. He not only talks about being murdered, but he talks about being treated shamefully and beaten and mocked and even spit upon, right? To be spit upon is a pretty disgusting thing, right? A pretty humiliating thing. Um, and so Jesus is giving some real detail and, and just days before this is going to happen. So he tells this to his disciples and then they gather themselves together and this is the third time, according to Luke's account, that Jesus has told this to them. And they gather themselves together and they continue on their journey. And the other, so they continue on to their journey as he's predicted their death. And they entered Jericho, and what the text says is that he was passing through. This wasn't on the itinerary. This wasn't part of their travel plans. He was just passing through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus stops here to have a conversation with the crowds. He's talking to the crowds. He's sharing with them who he is because he is the Savior who seeks the sinner. I had the wonderful opportunity when I was in seminary. I went to Gordon-Conwell, and I took a semester, and I studied abroad in uh, Israel. I, I lived in Israel from January to May um, in Jerusalem, and we did these treks where we would get up on Saturday morning really early <laughs> and trek out to different parts of Israel and explore the land and study the scripture that was part of that land. And I'm not going to I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I, I would pray sometimes that it would be the, the, the weather would be too bad for us to go because I got pretty exhausted a couple weeks in. Um, but we, I don't think once was it, you know, um, canceled. And one trip was to Jericho. And so you're in Jericho, and it used to be a fortified city, as we know from Scripture, and Joshua and his army come in and the fellow Israelites you know, walk around it seven times and the walls fall. Um, and then Joshua burns up the city, right, to make it new, make a new place for them to abide. And that's kind of where Jericho has stayed. It's a luscious place. It's beautiful, but they never re-fortified the city. Um, and in fact, Jericho was so beautiful that in my pictures, when I sent them back home, People thought I was in California because <laughs> of all the palm trees, right? So it's a bit of an oasis, and it makes sense that that's where this wealthy man would live, right? It's a pretty affluent area. It has all the resources. It has more rain. It receives more rain than the rest of Israel, right? And so they have a lot of things that other places in Israel don't have. So this tax collector living in Israel or living in Jericho would make sense, right? And that means the other people who live there in Jericho are probably well off as well. It's just that um, this tax collector is the wealthiest of the wealthiest, right? He's right up there. Um, and so here we are. Jesus has arrived into this wealthy city. And Jericho, as I said, receives the most rain 
And the people thought of of Jesus arriving, they're listening as he's walking around. Um, And Jesus is passing through because he's the Savior who seeks the sinners. And so who is Zacchaeus, right? He is the chief tax collector. And the chief tax collector means he's the head of it. He is the biggest tax collector. He's the one who sends out all the other tax collectors to gather the money. At this time, Israel, Jerusalem, Jericho, is ran by Roman, right? Roman authority. It's the Romans who are taxing the people, not the Jews to other Jews or the Jews to the Greeks. It's the Romans who are taxing everybody. And they've hired these tax collectors to go out and get whatever tax they deem they need for that day, that week, that year. It could be over your property. It could be over your livestock. It could be over your offspring. Um, So the tax collecting in the first century. And that, that would have just left a bitter taste in anyone's mouth, right? The Romans are running things. They're full of authority and power. You're the Jews. This land is rightfully yours. You were there before the Romans. You've already had your hardship stories that have been passed down from when you used to be slaves. And now fellow Jews are doing the bidding, right, of the Roman community. So you wouldn't have liked these tax collectors regardless if they taxed fairly or not fairly because you would have understood the whole system as unfair. Does that make sense? So he is the head of all of this. And he's gathering the money. um, And Zacchaeus here then, if you're doing something that your own people don't agree with, that makes you an outcast. So what we know about Zacchaeus is, yeah, he's wealthy. He's a tax collector, but he's an outcast as well, right? People don't like him. And he's out here meeting this Jesus in this crowd, and uh, who's with him? Who goes up in the tree with him? Nobody. He doesn't have family. He doesn't have friends. Or at least if he does, they're not with him. Right? He's a lonely, rich man. And Zacchaeus is an outcast. He's unwanted. And he's, even though he's wealthy. And that's kind of different than what we've seen earlier in Scripture. A lot of our outcasts earlier in Scripture, if we were to back up, including the text right before this, um, are usually poor, right? They're outcasts because they're mentally ill or they're blind or they can't t- supply for themselves. But that's not Zacchaeus's story. We've, had, we've seen so far the bleeding woman, right? We've seen beggars, right? We've seen the crippled. So Zacchaeus is an outcast who can provide for himself. And that's an interesting category to be in. And Zacchaeus is not the first tax collector to be engaged with Jesus, right? Matthew, one of the 12, was a tax collector, and Jesus gathers him to be one of the ones to pass on the gospel after he ascends to heaven. Jesus is the Savior who seeks the sinner. And Zacchaeus is a tax collector, an outcast, alone, there in the crowd. And Zacchaeus is very short. Now, there's been debate 
in recent years about the text meaning short of stature, meaning you know people didn't like him. That, that might be true and it might be a bit of play of words, but he actually is short. When I looked up the Greek, it's the word for not arrived yet to adulthood, right? Like he, that's how short he is. And people were pretty short in that time. Um, pretty average man was about 5'2", five, 5'3", five, right? So Zacchaeus is even shorter than that. Um, if I wasn't wearing my heels, I would be about 5'1". So Zacchaeus would be like here. Um, I was going to confess that I broke up with a man because he was shorter than me, but I've decided not to. Um, so he is short of stature. He is not fully grown, and he wants to see Jesus. He hears that Jesus is in town, and he goes out to see him. The text says he seeks to see him, and he sees the crowd, and he knows he's not going to be able to see over him. So he runs ahead, even though there's this obstacle of a herd of people who probably don't like him, he runs ahead. He sees the trail that Jesus will probably go down, and he climbs up into the tree. And I don't think that Zacchaeus, in climbing up into the tree to see Jesus, anticipated a conversation with Jesus. I think he just wanted to see him. And that was it. That was his bar. His hope was, can I see this Jesus that people are talking about? Um, he endeavors to obtain. That's the Greek word for seeking here. He endeavors to obtain. There's no stopping Zacchaeus. He's undignified in climbing this tree as an adult man. Uh, Jesus stops and he looks up. And he tells Zacchaeus, hurry down, hurry down, because I must stay at your house, because Jesus is the Savior who seeks sinners. The word must struck me here as I read it and read it and reread it and read it in several different translations. Every single time it's translated must. I must see, stay at your house. I see this as an act of compassion on Jesus' part. Right? He knows the scene. He knows that Zacchaeus is an outcast. He knows who Zacchaeus has swindled. He knows that Zacchaeus is up into this tree. Right? So as an act of compassion, he, said, he doesn't just talk to the loner. He moves. Jesus moves from concern to compassion. Right? And he has compassion on him and says, I, I, must, see, I must stay at your place. I also look at this and I see that for the first time maybe, an outcast is seen. Jesus sees the outcast. He sees the sinner and he stops to have a conversation with him. I must stay at your house. There is kindness in his words. There is an invitation to his words, right? And in that moment, where an outcast, a sinner, is seen and valued. Because Jesus is the Savior who seeks sinners. And so Zacchaeus responds eagerly. He scrambles back down the tree. And maybe he cut his knees, his legs, his hands are full of dirt from grasping the tree to climb down. Again, 
even more undignified, right? More undignified because the Savior has seen him. Jesus has spoken to him. And so he comes down, down from the tree, and it says it re- he, Zacchaeus, received Jesus joyfully because Jesus who is the Savior who seeks sinner. And then what did the crowd do? Does the crowd rejoice that someone who was once lost is now found? No, they murmur. And they say, he's gone into the house of a sinner. Shame on them. I don't even know, you know what is happening there. They, are they jealous that Jesus is going to have dinner with the tax collector and not them? I think it's that they don't really see Jesus. They think of him as a good prophet, a good doer, an articulate speaker, but they do not recognize him as the true Messiah, right, as a savior who seeks sinner, or they would have rejoiced. And I don't know about you, but I am glad that Jesus still has dinners with sinners. Uh, They don't understand who he is. They're not seeking to see him. And he's going into the house of a sinner, yes, because Jesus is the God who sees sinners, who seeks sinners. He, Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just a public figure. He is the son of man who came to seek and save the lost. And here, here we are coming towards the end of our text. And it's not the first time that we've seen this. It's not the first time in the text that the crowd has stood between Jesus and someone else needing healing, right? Because if we go back to chapter 18, verses 35 to 43, we see the story of the blind beggar. And the blind beggar's on the roadside, and he feels the crowd. And so he asks somebody, what's going on? Why is there a crowd today? And the person says, well, Jesus of Nazareth is here. He's walking through. And so the blind beggar cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people tell him to be quiet. Shh, shh. And he yells all the louder, also undignified, right? But yells all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus turns to him and heals him. These stories being this close together, I don't think is an accident of our writer. The writer here is the only Gentile writer that we know of for scripture, a doctor, well-educated. He puts together a physically blind poor man who calls out to Jesus for who he is, son of David, and receives healing, right, in an undignified way, and a very wealthy, spiritually blind man who also goes out to seek Jesus. The beggar is also an outcast, and yet he cries all the louder. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus is the Savior who seeks the outcast. He's the Savior who engages with the poor, who heals the blind, and stays with the sinner at his home. And so when we think about flourishing in this side of darkness, in this side of the pandemic, and when the world gets very confusing, 
It might mean being undignified. It might mean crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. It might mean being able to put aside any hurdles that are in front of you to continue to seek the Lord, right? And believe that he will meet you there. Jesus didn't get a text from Zacchaeus, I'm in the tree, come find me. Jesus just knew. That's all we get from the text. Jesus is literally walking along and looks up, right? And maybe it's his, the God part of him that's telling Jesus, look up. Maybe he saw him out of the corner of his eye, scurrying ahead, right? We don't know, but Jesus knows that Zacchaeus is there without any prompting from Zacchaeus. And Jesus knows that you're there. He knows what there is. If you're facing an illness, maybe your family members have turned against you. Maybe financially you are at a low right now. Maybe simply you just don't know this Jesus. And if you've never sought this Jesus as your Savior, today is your day. And if you have sought Jesus as your Savior, as I have decades ago, don't forget that he's still the Savior seeking for you. Because this side of heaven, none of us have arrived. Right? When we work with the women in the clubs, often they come to know Jesus first and then continue working in the clubs because they're still working it out. Just like me, still working it out until we get to see that Savior face to face. Trust those things to him. Really do today. I think it's easy, as someone who's been raised in the church, been in church my whole life, to hear a good sermon and be like, that was, that was solid. That's something that's convicting or encouraging or challenging. And then just to go to lunch with friends and forget. But if you have time today, go home and journal where the Holy Spirit where Jesus is inviting you in to a deeper place of flourishing, of trusting him, of seeking his face. Let's pray. God, you are too good to us. I am um, so grateful for this opportunity to be here. I am so grateful to be here in Nashua with people who love you, people who are my brothers and sisters, and this opportunity to dig in to a text that um, at glance can look pretty simple, but is a true invitation from you, God, our Savior who did not give up seeking those who were lost. Thank you. May we praise you more today than we did yesterday. May we trust that you are inviting us into places to flourish in and around wherever we're at in life. In Jesus' name we ask. We ask all these things. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bonnie. And you know, think about Bonnie's congregation and who she's pastoring and where she's walking. Bonnie's going to join me at the exit um, when you're leaving today. If you have any questions about Route 1 ministry, but remember this, in your seeking and what God is inviting you into, where it's deeper, 
it's also broader. Where it's deeper within, it impacts without what God may want to do. And I just thank God for Bonnie and her ministry today. As you're leaving today, our baskets are for our tithes and offerings. And today, if you say you would like to just support what they're doing down in Boston, and you want to just let our cash offering go to Route One Ministries today. So if you have some cash and you want to drop it in there, fine. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. Just do whatever the Holy Spirit wants you to do. The song we're going to sing in closing is for Bonnie's congregation that she encounters and for you and me. Because every one of us, every one of us needs to be set free from something to belong to someone. So let's stand together and let's sing.